Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is a podcast from Minute Media. What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about a ludicrous number of books that are are coming out this week. Kick it off with the new champion of Shazam, number one from DC Comics, written by Josie Campbell, art by Evan Doc Shaner. Now, in this book, Mary Marvel, as you can tell from the title, is the new champion of Shazam. She's trying to start her life at Vassar at college. Unfortunately, the rock of eternity and everything involved in there comes in her way. What'd you guys think? I thought for a second you were going to say The Rock uh, and bring up Black Adam for a second, uh, but okay. Absolutely not. I don't even know what that's about. Is that a a wrestling match or what's happening? Mm, No, come on, dude. Come Come on. on. Um, A lot of students at Vassar have um, bunny-related conflicts with their roommates. It's just part of the college experience. So I totally was vibing with this um, issue. Um, I think, uh, this is, I like Mary as a central focus for Shazam. Uh, she's, she's bringing the, all of the old, the Billy Batson stuff, uh, some new energy and taking it out of the sort of confusing Billy, Freddy, all the business that was going on. So I think this, this issue brings some clarity and I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah. I thought this was a really fun first issue. Uh, great art. Uh, I like the rabbit stuff. Uh, great action, fun mystery. I, I thought they did a great job of refreshing something and giving a clear kind of like linear thing of like, this is what we're going to do. This is how this is going to go down. And I'm on board for it. Yeah, I really like this as well. Two things in particular that I liked about this. One, Evan Doc Shaner's art, which is always so amazing. Good. Just and, and perfect for the Marvel family as well. He just has this clean, earnest, um, forever quality yeah, to like it. Like Ernest really, Saves Christmas. I got you. Yeah, exactly. Agreed. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that I thought was surprising is it's set at college. You know, we usually get the sort of reset where like, I'm at a new high school and I'm a high school student. So bringing Mary Marvel into college gives it a very different flavor. And I think it's fun the way they write their character. The bunny is very fun as well. I just had a blast reading this book, and I hope people check it out. I really yeah. thought it was interesting that it was Vassar and not like Metropolis University or mm-hmm. like Opal City uh, College for whatever. Like, it, I was surprised that they went with like a very specific real world school. 
Yeah, but I'm excited to read this. I thought this was a great first issue. Let's move to another first issue. I'm very excited to hear what Pete thinks about Golden Rage, number one from Image Comics, written by Chrissy Williams, art by Lauren Knight. The pitch here is what if Hunger Games, but with grandmas. I think it's a little more complicated than that, though, as initially we looked at. Pete, you're a fan of badass grandmas. What did you think about this issue? Yeah, and I'm glad it was more than that. I, I uh, First off, it really starts at a cool, interesting place here. You've got some amazing art, some creepy-ass uh, covers. Uh, but, man, uh, very interesting, very kind of cool start. Um, and you kind of get this kind of like badass, you know, kind of, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger ask grandma, uh, kind of like, uh, at the start of this thing. Uh, I think they do a great job of setting up this insane world and then giving you enough to like to kind of, uh, check out more, but art is really great. Uh, very high tension and action. Uh, this is fun. Yeah. I came into this book thinking it was going to be golden girls fight club. Yep. Um, And it is not that there's like a lot of larger underpinnings to the story feels like it's more of a post-apocalyptic or like societal change uh, take as opposed to just um, Rose fighting uh, (laughs) uh, everyone, I guess. Um, Blanche probably has a mean right hook, I would think. Uh, So I I thought this was a fun surprise. I'm glad to hear that Pete that you liked it. This felt like it's right up your golden girl alley. I, yes, I agree with what you guys are saying. The big takeaway that I had is, yeah, like you, Justin, I was expecting more just like funny old ladies fighting each other. But I think the vibe they're going for here and it's early going because they're sort of slow playing the mysteries is they're much more going for like a bitch planet type thing happening here. Great comparison. Thank you. And I'm excited to see how they expand that outwards. There's just a little bit of introduction here that I won't necessarily spoil in terms of what's going on, but definitely worth checking out. Next up, two titles that I think we could talk about together, sort of Azrael, Dark Knight of the Soul, number one from DC Comics, written by Dan Waters, art by Nicola Sismegia, and sort of Azrael, number one from DC Comics, written and drawn by the same team. So that's the order you need to read them in. Dark Knight of the Soul takes place in Gotham, and then we got John Paul Valley is now in a, I don't know, is it called a convent? I guess I would say wherever. a monastery monastery. There you go. He's in a monastery and then he gets pulled back in for one last job. <laughs> but well, one Justin, last I feel monk. Like, yes. Justin, I feel like you're a correct. Me if I'm wrong. You're a big Azrael fad. You like those sort of nineties type character. No, and then, <laughs> I don't think so. Not, not particularly, but All I will right. say I did really like this. And one thing I really liked about it, um, because part of the whole Azrael as a character, it feels like it's just a surface take on religious or f- religion or faith, and it's like about this character, like oh, he's crazy, and he because he's k- killing people because he believes this thing. And what I liked about both these books, especially the Dark Knight of the Soul one, is it was a very like internal, like really straight faced take on what it means to be faithful and what it means to have these deep beliefs, especially for someone who has also been trained, uh, almost like indoctrinated in a way and connected that faith with violence and to see this character sort of breaking that connection very actively and learning something and sort of reexamining their faith and what they are as a person. As someone who is like 
sort of faith without faith. Like I thought this was a really smart breakdown of, of what the, the real take on this character. And the art was great as well. Uh, okay. Well, I, I really thought this was uh, cool. First, the dark Knight of the soul here. Uh, I really liked the Batman interactions with Ezreal. Um, Art was great. I really liked the angel fight, and this is this has a cool story. Yeah, I'm glad we're not doing the Asriel's uh, kind of out of his mind, like uh, crazy. Yeah, exactly. Like this is this is a good take. And then the second one, sort of Asriel number one, really great art, fun setup. I like the twist. Um, I, I think these are really solid uh, DC comics, and I'm, I, I like the kind of art-forward take on these characters. I think they're doing a good job of getting kind of things not only like kind of refreshed, but also uh, uh, setting up some good stuff for this character. Totally agree. Moving on to the Dead Lucky, number one from Image Comics, written by Melissa Flores, art by French Carlo Magno. It's not entirely clear whether this takes place in the Radiant Black universe. It's probably a little more like Rogue Sun taking place in the Radiant Black multiverse. Just right next door. Just right, yeah, next, just right door. next door. There you go. But this is a little more kaiju, giant, robot fighting type thing. What did you guys think about this? I think, uh, first off, uh, uh, great action to kind of start, uh, really cool art, uh, really exciting last page to kind of get you excited for what's to come. Uh, yeah, I think this was a, a solid start to something, uh, and I feel like they gave us just enough information where we're not, like, confused, but we're kind of, like, curious. Uh, what do you think it is about the Radiant Black universe that has been going so well? I feel like it's so hard to launch something. Do you think it's more the Radiant or the Black? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Ooh, nice. Great. That's the question. Well, that I, I, think I, I do really actually have a theory about it that I was thinking about a little bit with this issue. This is another person that Kyle Higgins has worked with on the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers books over at Boom Studios. And my guess is this is the stuff they always wanted to do with the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers books, Mm. but couldn't do because of the licensed property, like really push it in some wild directions, because that's essentially what these characters are. That's what the Radiants are. That's what Rogue Sun is a little bit. They all vaguely look like the Power Rangers characters. Don't don't insult the creativity of this. What am I insulting? I don't think it's insulting, because what I like about that take is it means these ideas had time to cook it wasn't just like something where like oh i have this i'm pitching it now i'm making it these ideas feel because I, I think that's something that i really like our radiant black and all the other issues including this one is it does feel like lived in universes and that choices have been made specifically and for a reason like the way that um we have our our main character uh who's been you know was a soldier in war um, is struggling with that. And then we get this fun format where um, she talks directly to us, the reader, for the fourth wall break, uh, which is, is great. It's not something I would expect. It's like lightly laid on to the issue and really helps to connect us with her and also get out a lot of exposition. It just feels like these are really well-thought-out comics. I don't yeah. – I, I, what I mean by the insulting thing is the – 
Money More from Power Rangers was such a stylized kind of like very specific thing. And the Radiant Black universe, we don't quite know yet and isn't kind of like, I don't want it to feel like it's that kind of gimmick or that kind of like toy forward thing. Like we're getting a lot of interesting stories that I don't want to undercut the kind of like Power Rangers of it all. I don't think it's undercutting at all. And I think the Boom Studios Mighty Morphin Power Rangers books have been surprisingly good and deep and done some interesting stuff with the characters. Uh, but you're still constrained by whatever the mythology is that has been set up by Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Here, they're allowed to go in whatever directions they want. And I think that's very cool. What do you think it's about the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers? Is it they're mighty, the Morphin, the think? Power the power hmm. for me it's the ranging oh I like, the ranging. oh like the new york rangers yeah i love what? that too that's my favorite sports team and also uh park rangers love those oh yes 100 percent. yeah i love park rangers and they surely truly park <laughs> rangers are the original mighty morphin Black Adam, the Justice Society Files Cyclone number one from DC Comics, written by Kevin Scott and Brian Q. Miller, art by Maria Laura Sanapo and Marco Santucci. In this issue, we are again getting a prequel to the Black Adam movie, this time focusing on the character of Cyclone, who is a young character who idolizes the Justice Society and has powers of her own. I'll say, first of all, I love the Cyclone character, so it's always great to see her. But similar to what we were talking about, actually, with the Radiant Black stuff, I think this is really punching above its weight in terms of what a tie-in comic has to be. And I'd yeah. throw that out to Kevin Scott and the rest of the team. This is a really good one-shot issue focusing on Cyclone, and I was very pleased to read it. Yeah, it feels I, very tie-in in a way that I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to enjoy this. But one thing that I really did like about it was the way that Cyclone is such a fan of Hawkman. Mm-hmm. And the way they really play that, they play that so openly. Like the most superhero books, it's like, oh, I've loved Hawkman for so long. And then it's sort of a throwaway. This, we get to see Cyclone say it, experience it. We see it. She messes up, then she sees him again. Like it, they, they, it felt more realistic to what actual being a fan is, uh, and I, I. So I wanted to give it that credit uh, in that point. Uh, yeah, I really like this. I love both the stories. Great art, great action. Uh, love the kind of like last panel line that we kind of uh, get in in the second one uh, that really raises the kind of the tension and the stakes. Uh, yeah, I was really impressed with this. I was like, all right. But when I started to read it, but I uncrossed my arms and was really impressed and uh, was super happy about this. 20 XDX Transport, number one from Image Comics by Jonathan Luna. This is a bold Luna. experiment that Jonathan Luna did where he asked people to essentially choose your own adventure <laughs> Online, He gave them choices, and we're getting the collected version of that comment, comic here as one s- psychic? Not psychic. Uh, what is it? Uh, Sim? Yeah, Sim character. No, I'm thinking what's well, not psychic, but it's uh, being... Telekinetic. To- telekinetic, thank you. Uh, telekinetic character Psylocke? is facing down... Nope. Telekinetic character is facing down... Magic hands! <laughs> is it magic shooters on a school bus which is very visceral as we're reading it right now in terms of school oh. shootings and things but 
Justin, I'll turn it over to you. You're, you're a big fan of the Luna Brothers in particular. What do you think about this issue? I do like the Luna Brothers. And while I haven't been reading um, the other books in this series, I thought this as a standalone was really fun. And like you're saying, it has like this edginess because of just guns in general being stressful in our lives. Um, and the Choose Your Own Adventure stuff does make the story feel a little more lively. And um, I like inserting that. I would like to see more comics um, doing this, uh, especially as an online element and then and bringing it to a book going forward. And there's just something about the Luna Brothers art and the way they the characters always feel in danger and the art style makes it seem surprising how high the stakes are to me. That's Maybe that's just my personal take, but I just like the way they make comics. Uh, yeah, I, I really, uh, I thought this was a cool issue, uh, great art. I think it was, you know, um, the art style kind of, uh, uh, makes it very interesting to have this kind of like w- more robotic human. Um, I think it lends it to that a very, in a very cool way. I think they do a great job of setting up a world and then kind of like getting us excited for more. Yeah, I I agree with you guys and I agree with you, Justin. I would love to see some sort of thing where like maybe there's a more prominent character at one of the more prominent publishers like DC. Maybe they can take a character like, I don't know, Robin and have people vote on whether Robin should live or die. Maybe with some sort of 900 number. That would be really cool. I wonder wonder how many votes they got on that. Oh, 900 number. Like truly, was it like 100 I don't know. We can look it up. It, it actually was a lot. I think it was yeah, like really? in the tens it's of thirty-five thousand. Was it really? Did you just look it up, Pete? No. Oh. <laughs> okay. We'll look it up at some point during this podcast. But moving on to Flashpoint Beyond, number four from DC Comics, written by Jeff Johns, Tim Sheridan, and Jeremy Adams, art by Zermonico and Mikkel Janine. And this issue, we're getting some big revelations about the clockwork murders that. Thomas Wayne has been focusing on while in the quote unquote real world, Bruce Wayne has done something that has caused this new flashpoint reality. What'd you guys think about this issue? I really liked this. I thought it was like creepy and they were making different choices. Like the two face thing was really interesting. It was weird. Like they're, they really play with your emotions with this flashpoint stuff. Like having uh, a penguin in the Wayne house was really fucking creeper, uh, creepy. So I enjoy the kind of mix them up playing with the emotions that they're doing here. But yeah, this comic has actually grown on me a bit. Um, I, I feel like it's, it's um, I'm settling into the voice of uh, the, the Wayne Batman, the uh, Thomas Wayne Batman here. And I do want to see more from this character. I I'm curious where we're going to go. All that this young guy kid who goes out to be um, a Robin and he can do some great jump kicks. Um, But I feel like it's all going to get washed up into some big continuity stuff. Feels like where it's going next. So I hope we don't just lose the main voices of this issue. Um, I found the vote tallies as well. Oh, oh I, I did as well, but uh, go ahead, Justin. Oh, sorry. Um, look at us Googling. Uh, 10,614 votes. 5,343 voted for Jason Todd's death. 5,271 wow. his survival. So these people, 72 votes separated that. These people called and paid money on a 1-900 number <laughs> to be like, kill this child. Get it. <laughs> 
Uh, uh, that's wild. Do you think all those five thousand when child murder was okay? I believe, right? Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. just more fictional. Um, well, you think these five thousand three hundred forty-three people are pissed that Jason Todd is back in the <laughs> DC universe? Are they I just like my money, man? <laughs> Let's move on to talk about Survival Street, number one, from Dark Horse yeah. Comics, written by James Asmus and Jim Festante, two good friends of the show. Art by Abli Kusinov, a future friend of the show, but we don't know them yet. Uh, this <laughs> wow. is about a future up. world where corporations have taken over and the only people fighting against them aren't people at all. They're actually puppets a la Sesame Street who have gone very dark. Oh, They're trying Allah. to take back <laughs> a la and they're trying to take things back. What do you guys think about this book? Oh, this is very creative and fun. I love this idea of like, you know, I mean, I, as a kid, I looked up to Sesame Street characters as the heroes, the people. Who'd who, you look up to? The people who speak uh, for the people. You know what I mean? So uh, Oscar, right? Oscar, of course. Snuffleupagus. Yeah, that guy's famously the, a grouch. The count. <laughs> The count, you know, I mean, uh, wait, 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 hold on. Before you keep plowing through because you don't want to talk about this, you're the people you looked up to the most are Oscar, Snuffleupagus, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the count, yeah, interesting because Oscar was a grouch, and also Cookie the Monster, Cookie Monster, mm, cookie, cookie Monster, Cookie the Monster, he could eat any as many cookies as he wanted. Stuff, my name is Cookie. The monster. <laughs> this is a very I funny shall, book. I shall take the name Cookie, for that is what I am the monster of. I you was, have my sword. <laughs> despite the cover and despite the title, I was not expecting the puppet twist here. Very surprising to me. But I liked how that they worked it, and I think it's fun and creative and weird, and I'm, I'm curious to see where it goes going forward. Yeah. This book is wild in a good way. I like how it simultaneously is addressing deeply terrifying problems in our society. And it feels like every issue is going to tackle different things that are making all of us, particularly perhaps the writers of this book, stressed. But also tackling it in a way where we get to see uh, Muppety puppets uh, shooting bazookas and f- getting oh, shot yeah. at. It's a wild sort of high-low mix of uh, great dark action and puppets with googly eyes. There you go. Stillwater, number 14, from Image Comics, written by Chip Sadarsky, art by Ramon K. Perez. In this issue, big moves for this series, as the town of Stillwater essentially annexes the neighboring town of Coldwater, expanding their borders and expanding the immortal people living inside of those borders. I love the big moves going on here. I know I feel like we see this every month, but this started with such a simple concept. We didn't know how it was going to continue, and they've made it continue and expanded it in a big way over the course of 15, 14 issues. I'm excited to see how this goes going forward. Yeah, it's I mean, to, you go. It, it has this kind of like, you know, when Walking Dead first started, you were kind of like, all right, but uh, well, what else are they going to do? How long can they keep this up? And in a similar way, I'm impressed with the choices that are being made, the where the characters are being kind of pushed and the stuff that the, actually goes down in these issues. So it's, you know, it's really impressive, the writing and the art that is kind of leading the twists and turns in this uh, uh, creepy town. What I think is so wild about this comic is um, it started and it felt like we had a main character. 
and we it feels like we uh it just shifted off and sort of absorbed the whole town and, and actually i guess the first interaction was really between the main character and a boy and now we're in a full part of the story where the the boy is the main character in a good way um but yeah i i really love uh, chips and Darcy is really good at finding like great little moments where that really pop little scenes where these characters come together and um, the mayor of uh, Stillwater talking to the um, the woman at the diner, I thought was just such a great crystallized moment that not only commented on the story, but about like why we as humans do anything, uh, which I think is what you want a comic to do in any capacity. Batman Killing Time, number six from DC Comics, written by Tom King, art by David Marquez this is the final issue of this book. The villain has been revealed, who is clocking. He has been manipulating things the whole time. And here we kind of get some answers about what has been going on as everything rots up. What did you think about this issue as well as the series as a whole? Uh, shout out to this book it, because it – Tom King, a great writer, has done a lot of Batman. His Batman Catwoman stuff was such a um, – Legendary. Legendary. Everyone paid attention to that. Yeah, I know people had complaints about that series once it went into the black label uh version of it but um it got so much attention i feel like this is my favorite batman stuff that he's done uh even though batman is less of a focus we're sort of not in his head really at all he's just sort of a chess piece that's being moved around but the way that this the switcheroo this book did where they had like a formatted thing where we were jumping around different times and then suddenly we realize at the uh, in la- at the last during the last issue that we're actually been inside Clock King's head the whole time was such just some of the best sleight of hand that I've seen a comic do in so long. It was something where we were like, of course it's Clock King. It's literally what Clock King does is talk about time constantly. And that it, book did it for four issues and then showed us that it was him. Like great, and I loved the the sort of philosophy on time where we end up here, which feels like it's counter what Clock King represents, but really, it just, it really hit me, this book, and it was one of the rare comics that I feel like built cleanly to a great climax in the final issue. Huh. I, 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 (laughs) (laughs) wow, what a comment. Well, I just, I, I don't want, I, I love Tom King. I love uh, a lot of his stuff. And all right, well, first, let me start with the the positives here. Bananas, DC art, like just really cool, uh, kind of gla- classic DC kind of cool style uh, 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 stuff here. To me, it was a lot of talky, talky and not enough action. And I didn't like the talky. And then it was just like spoilers, but like. Batman just elbows clocking and that's it. And like, go fuck yourself. I want more out of a comic when it comes to a climax of a Batman kind of like getting the bad guy. Like it was just, it was anticlimactic. And, and when hearing Justin talk about it, I was like, Oh, it was done in a smart way. That's cool. And for Justin, but for me, I was like, I want no, uh, please more. Uh, I really like a lot of the stuff that he's done and I will read anything that he does, but I felt like this tried to outsmart me more than I wanted to be outsmarted. Ooh. Mm, interesting. I really liked it as well. And just to respond to what you're saying, Pete, I think 
There's been more than enough action throughout the run of this book to satisfy me in terms of the fights with the help, in terms of the all-out battle uh, in the Gotham Park that happened yeah. in the last issue. And here, this is about how literally clocking is just killing time. That's all he's doing. He's <laughs> like, yeah, I got nothing better to do. I'm just going to do this thing. I'm going to manipulate this situation and set this up. And I, I love that. Like, I, I think you're absolutely yeah. right, Justin, in terms of it being a magic trick. And it's one of my favorite things that Tom King has done for DC. Oh, what do we wow. think about the reveal that a Clock King is the king of clocks? Does that mean that Tom King is the king of Toms? Mm. Think about it. Mm. Don't think about it too hard. I'm going to keep thinking about it. I'm done with this podcast. I'm just going to keep thinking about that. <laughs> Frankenstein, yes. New World, number one from Dark Horse Comics, written by Mike Mignola, Christopher Golden, and Thomas Stigowski, art by Peter Bergteen, Bergting. Sorry. Uh, this is about Frankenstein awaking in an underground world and slowly working his way to the surface. There's some tie-ins to other parts of the BPRD world here, Pete. You're a big fan of this world. What did you think about this one? Yeah, I was impressed with this because I was like, all right. I mean, I've seen a bunch of different Frankenstein stuff. I also really hate Frank and Punisher. So, like, I was kind of like, what are we it's doing Frank here? Frank and Castle, and it's one of my favorite um, heroes. Yeah, die slow. It's die a hero. slowly. It's uh, a hero of mine. Uh, there goes my hero. When I hear that song, I think of Frank and Castle. Okay. Well, I hope you die slowly. Um I I was impressed with this. I think this is a very cool take. Uh, it was unique enough, and it was a different enough tank on, uh, on Frankenstein's monster that I, I enjoyed it. I hope to die quickly, but then be re also reincarnated quickly as some sort of Frankentiler. Mm. Is that your review of the book? I guess. Okay. Uh, the, <laughs> um, this, uh, what I love about this book is, man, I didn't know that the inside was going to be that way. It was uh, a Frankenstein book that um, was about him being sort of a, a sitting Buddha for a post-apocalyptic world, uh, society falling apart that has found a happiness, but is uh, one character is searching for more. There's a mystery involving a, a woman trapped in a gem that um, that Frankenstein has to go. I was like, wow, these are great reveals. Feels like this is high fantasy rather than sort of Hellboy style um, uh, rock'em sock'em monster issue that um, I expected. And I enjoyed the twist. I really like this as well. I thought this channeled Mike Mignola's style without aping it directly. Uh, gorgeous mm. visuals throughout, and I'm very excited to follow the story. Next up, Little Monsters, number six from Image Comics, written by Jeff Lemire, art by Dustin Wynn. In this issue, our little monsters are dealing with the ramifications of one of them dying, as well as the fact that there are a bunch of humans in the world, and it is delicious to suck their blood. Pete, <laughs> <laughs> you love this issue talk about this yeah i love the art style i love the kind of black and white old school uh eastman and laird feel i get when i read it um mm. this is just uh great each issue we're kind of getting more and more into this uh monsters world here and how it works and this kind of like lord of the flies kind of thing that's happening I'm having a great time. I'm loving the choices that they're making. The arts banana's good. I don't know what more you want out of the comics. These little monsters suck. 
blood and it's driving me crazy uh another fun issue uh and the lord of the flies comparison is like literally what's happening here fun great art i loved jeff lemire and dustin Nguyen on on any book so great to see him going for more from little monsters to big monsters let's talk about dc versus vampires number eight from dc comics written by james tyne the fourth and matthew rosenberg bergy Art by Otto Schmidt. (laughs) In this issue, after a bunch of one-shots, we are getting back to the main continuity of DC versus vampires. As you can figure out by the title, vampires have taken over the DC universe. You guys love this book. What do you think about getting back to the main story here? I agree. This is just over-the-top fun. I love it. I love the art. It's wickedly stylized, just like the vampires in this issue. I think it's just such a great marriage of art and storytelling, a fun comic. I'm glad DC's taking big swings like this. Uh, This issue really um, got me to understand why I like this uh, series and corner of the DC universe so much. They've jumped out of the main continuity to do this vampire thing, which feels like a gimmick. But what's so smart about what they're doing here? is they're looking back at the DC characters and really giving us just great little moments and great little sort of vignettes with them. There's a a three-page section here with Black Canary and and Green Arrow that is maybe one of my favorite moments of their relationship I've ever seen in comics. Come on, dude. It is great. It's like just you feel they love each other. It's passionate. Cliff uh, so I, I want to throw really something at you about thing. that sequence in particular. The thing that's been weirding me out about this book a little bit and why I haven't been as on board as you guys, even though it's very well done. Otto Schmidt's art is great. I love James Tyne the fourth. It's love better Matthew than Rosenberg. great. Come on, man. It's, I, I would say it was bananas good, but... <laughs> <laughs> this to me, reading this book, feels like James Tide of the Fourth and Matthew Burzenberg saying, What if we did a Tom Taylor book? And then one of Tom Taylor's little quirks with his everything has gone wrong in the DC Universe books is always focusing on Green Arrow and Black Canary. So when they got to that scene, I was like, Oh, this is this is hat on a hat right here, is what you guys are doing. Like you're just diving into the Tom Taylorness of this a little too much. And it's fine, it's good, but I, I'm having a hard time working past that a little bit. Interesting. Well, you, just, I, you made a choice in your mind that's not even true, and it's blocking you from enjoying something. It's weird. Yeah, I mean, I, I get like I I don't have that same comparison. I I'm not feeling that uh, the Taylorosity of it all, um, but I mean, nice. I do think they are um, in. You know, we're using the same characters, and maybe it's just different creators finding the same characters to be interesting. But the Nightwing Batgirl stuff in here, I thought was fantastic. Yes. Come um, on. I, Come on, I would say, as well as the Supergirl stuff. So Yeah, dude. Let's just, I think comics be hidden. DC, good yeah. stuff. There's a reason we covered all of their books almost. <laughs> Not all. I want to no, say all of them. Honestly, like half of them. They put, have been putting out a wild amount of books. But why don't we move on and talk them. about a Marvel comic book, Edge Bad of Spider-Verse. Number one from Marvel, written by Dan Slott, Alex Segura, Carla, Carla Pacheco, Dustin Weaver, art by Martin Cocolo, Cayo Majado, <laughs> Pear Perez, and DJ Bryant. This is beginning 
the end of the Spider-Verse in the Marvel Universe, and we are focusing on a bunch of different characters here as we go through some short stories. What do you guys think about this collection? Ugh, uh, so who hasn't been a Spider-Laird fan for so Oh, come on. The Laird, bro? Yeah, Eastman and Laird, obviously. Yep, yep. I enjoyed this. I'm curious to see how it all ties up into this end of Spider-Verse event that I believe Patan Slot is writing. But the stuff with Anya was fun. It's Anya, yep. right? And I also no, loved Aranya. Aranya. I always get that name wrong. I apologize. And also the dinosaur Spider-Man ties into, seems like a weird parallel with Jurassic League, but I had a good time. I liked reading it. The, yeah, my I, favorite story. My favorite story was the Spider Noir, mm-hmm. um, and so how it sort of dovetailed off the Aranya story um, with this Wasp Queen uh, character. Because the Spider Noir stuff, I feel like, sort of expanded the character and got into um, some mistakes the character's making, and then a truly horrifying last page. Uh, I thought. Um, so yeah, that was my favorite one. Yeah, I mean, this is a solid collection of uh, really fun Spider-Man stories here. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's there's a very high hit rate in here, so it's it's worth getting the collection. Sometimes you're like, oh, I don't know if it's going to be worth it because there'll be something in here I don't like. But I would say you're it's not going to be an issue. Once and Future, number 28 from Boob Studios, written by Karen Gillen, art by Dan Mora last month. We had a little bit of a discussion. I know Pete was not on board with this, but about should we still be reviewing this book? Because it's good every month, but there's not much more to say. But Oh, my God. But it is finishing up, as announced, I believe, at San Diego Comic-Con. The book is going to be finishing in October. So we are in the <sighs> end game now. So given that, what do you think about this issue? This issue is fantastic. Just like all the other issues beforehand, it's so much fun. I mean, come on, man. Grandma with a bazooka? Well, Marty, what? Out of life. I mean, this is just uh, over-the-top action with fun characters, making really creative choices with things we've seen a bunch, uh, but twisted a little bit in this kind of new way. Uh, it's a blast. I don't understand how you guys are tired of this. I want to live here forever. Well, you've got a couple more months slash issues to live here. Um, and while you're in that, you can enjoy several Arthurs, several yeah. swords, some bunch of other stuff happening. A bunch of Merlins. I mean, come on, man. Um, and I appreciate they are getting into a couple, a little bit more of like emotional underpinnings to some of these characters. For me, though, I just feel like I've just lost the thread, mm-hmm. the emotional thread of these characters. Like our main characters, uh, Grandma, the guy, and the, the lady. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know who they are. I don't know what their deal is. I just know they're stressed out, and they're trying to figure this out, and it's like stories about stories. It just feels like it lost a center a while ago, and we're still reading it, and I still like – like I want to keep – I want to know what happens – but I just feel like I I don't know what the it's like walking it's like running through a museum. This book. <laughs> oh my god, Dan uh, Mora's art I will mention fantastic. No Truly, what unbelievable. The yes. art's unbelievable, and I don't know what 
more character development you need than you know in the and worse the times there's still a grandma with a bazooka living her best life i mean you know it gives you hope that you know in this dark crazy world you can still have some fun man what a great time for you two killer grandma books in one stack pretty yeah, amazing man your letter writing campaign is crushing it yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's move on to maybe the most stressful book on the stands today, The Closet, number three, from Image Comics, written by James Todd IV, art by Gavin Fullerton. In this issue, our dad finishes his road trip across the country with his kid, who is being uh, tortured by some sort of being in a closet, and he just doesn't see it happening. In this issue specifically, he has a conversation with a guy at a parking lot and then a conversation with his wife when they finally reunite. Oh, my God. I like I am so stressed out reading this book. This guy is purposefully so grating and so terrible and so self-centered, but beautifully written for that. Yes, because I love this comic. I think this is, I mean, James Tynan, like, it's hard to find a miss with him in the last uh, few years. Crushing it so hard. This JT is a standout. Is, is, yeah. He's so this is a standout that for me from all of his work, though, because he's created this character that is is so, like, he's bad. He doesn't do good things. But it's such on small, like, he makes normal mistakes. He makes mistakes that people are making all around the country and world right now. He's just being sort of a general, selfish, unthinking piece dick. of shit. And um, and I think I don't know what the the horror of that is if it's if this sort of alien monster character is something outside of that, or if it's a manifestation of sort of his flaws that are then suck sort of sucking out uh the oh. life of his child or they become his flaws if that's it's, the metaphor yeah, we're it's going like for this it. thing it's like, really good yeah the dad's shitty choices in life are affecting the child in this way that is so creepy and awful uh yeah it's crazy stressful to read this book um, because you're like yelling at this father to get his shit together and it's the son is suffering. And it's like that says so much uh, about the kind of weight of having children and, and being in charge of somebody's life. Uh, it's an unbelievable idea and story that is told in like this creepiest way possible. And it's like this thing that like. I can't stop reading, but I want to, but I I gotta make sure this kid's gonna be okay. It's it's a fucking emotional roller coaster, man. And but what I also love about it is he finds touch points with mistakes that we all make as people. Like the moment when he's talking not to the guy in the car and he never asks him what his problems are. Yeah, that's that's not and him, that's, dude. That's not something we all do. But I think there have been points in our lives, or like I'll speak for myself, there are points in my life where I'm like I didn't ask them about that. And like, I should have. And so like he, even though this guy is sort of the monster of the book, he finds ways to keep us a little bit on the hook where it's like, Oh, I, I identify with that thing, even though his mistakes are plentiful and larger. He gets us, gets a little hook in us. And that's what is so good about the writing here. It just makes me fucking scared because it's like, you know, like, uh, this child is depending on this man who's doing a horrible job and literally ignoring 
the fact that he's like being tortured and it's it's driving me insane. Here here's the thing though, is to Justin's point, he's not doing a horrible job. He's just doing yes, a bad job. Like he right. is he is doing a job, the job a lot of parents do in terms of reaching their end with the kid, making mistakes, making human mistakes that are bad and are emotionally destructive, but are very human, realistic things to do. They just have these supernatural consequences that he doesn't really know about. And I think in particular through Gavin Fullerton's art, which has this almost still quality, it feels to me, particularly with the monster... That it's almost like frames of a film that are kind of like snapping through, you know? Yeah. Uh, great stuff. The, this book is so good. You're uh, We're only three issues in, so definitely go back and pick it up because it's terrifying, it's stressful, but incredibly well done. I don't know, man. Like, I can't recommend this book until we see like a little bit of light at the end of the fucking tunnel because right now it's like... This fucking poor kid. I don't know if he's maybe not. Maybe you don't get a light. Is there any other like writer uh, that we're reviewing in this stack that might have a book where there's no light at the end of the tunnel for his characters? Pete, stay tuned. Stay tuned. I guess Aquaman Andromeda book two from DC Comics written by Ram V art by Christian Ward. We talked about the last issue of this book, but this is essentially the abyss but with Aquaman and Black Manta. I'll tell you what, I was a little critical of the first issue of this book because I felt like the DC Comics Aquaman and Black Manta stuff sort of came out of left field and didn't work with the much more interesting science under the water thing. I thought it was perfectly integrated, this issue. Loved how it played out. It's weird. It's interesting. It's gorgeously drawn by Christian Ward. Love this issue. Yeah, the, the stylized art that this book puts out is just really impressive. It's this kind of cool vibe. Uh, it's such a beautiful book, man. The, it's, it's a quality package of writing and art here that uh, is impressive to be seen tackled in this underwater world. I think it, it lends to a lot of cool ideas that they capitalize on and have fun with. And uh, it, it's impressive. I mean, this is really cool art that they're putting out. Uh, the art is fantastic. And I think I agree with you, Alex, like the Aqua and black Manta stuff felt like it was going to overshadow the abyss side of it. And I think they really leaned into that in this issue. And we sort of get a real look at the monster here. I also love though. It's sort of a little bit of the flip of the abyss. And I won't spoil much by saying that it's not that this ship came from outer space. It's something else. And I really like that sort of turn on it. Demon Wars, the Iron Samurai, number one from Marvel by Peach Momoko. This is another in the series of issues that recast the Marvel universe through the lens of Peach Momoko's art and writing. As usual, this is really cool. It's just gorgeous to look at. Pete, I know you've been a fan of these. What'd you think about this one? Yeah, I mean, saying that the artist uh, gorgeous is underselling it. Uh, this is just oh, a, a dream. <laughs> you gotta sell it. You gotta the, sell this. This is Alex. such a cool dreamscape of just uh, 
art and uh, an anime style in this way that is captured here on these panels that is it's breathtaking it's impressive it, it it says things without words that is just so cool and powerful and you're immediately on the side of this uh, uh kid as she's going through all this stuff and then it's finally kind of made more clear in such a uh, cool, beautiful way. The use of color and black and white in here, I, I just unbelievable storytelling. It's just so, so amazingly well done and, and so creative. The The part where there is just like a doorway that has color uh, with this black uh, kind of background is, is such an impressive thing come to life that uh your imagination is just it kind of explodes onto the page in this and uh i, I can't say enough amazing things about this art uh the art is really cool uh, after a while i was like oh this is a marvel book because i when i saw the sort of black panther character i was like oh right um because i think you really get lost in it and i don't there's not a t i feels like the marvel universe is maybe a distant uh, inspiration for this as opposed to some sort of like larger point that's being made. So I appreciate is, it. it is sort yeah, of a good, a good, like a dream. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It has like a dream. Uh, careful. I know this is personal for you. Uh, it sort of has that little bit of dream connection to Marvel. Twig number four from image comics written by Scotty young art by Kyle Stram. And this issue, our main character twig tries to grapple with the idea of freeing somebody who might be absolutely terrible for the future of the world, but it leads to some big decisions and some big changes. As usual, though I love this world, the standout for me is Kyle Stram's art. Every single image is wild and crazy and amazing to look at. Loving just, at the very least, looking at this book so far. What about you guys? Yeah, it's really impressive how amazing this art is because it's written by an unbelievable artist himself. And I thought that I would be like, man, I would be so much cooler. If Scotty Young was doing this, but I, you get so lost in this world that you don't, uh, you don't think that, which is really impressive. I also really love the choices that the main character is making here. Like he's struggling with, you know, uh, killing this beast to kind of save the world. And it's as interesting what happens and how this all goes down. I love the adventure that we're kind of on with this. This is so much bigger than just kind of like a tripped out, adorable little character making little decisions. This is, it's a, it's a lot bigger than that. And it's impressive that it's able to capture all that. Sorry. There's a plane going by Justin's head here. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, sir. I'm on the tarmac. Yeah, I moonlight as a air traffic control. So I just got to land the plane, literally yeah. not figuratively. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Cool, cool. Uh, but yeah, I just uh, I think it's it's really impressive what is being done in this book. A little bit more wordy in this issue, which, you know, not normally I'm a fan of, but I'm still not your favorite. Don't like words. Uh, still loving every single issue of this. It's, it's so I'm just really trying cool. to bring trying to bring your review in for a landing as well on that. Great. Uh, I agree. I feel like the touchstones we talk about: Dark Crystal, Fraggle Rock, Never Ending Story. Just continue to hit those. I tried to show my kids the secret of Nim over the weekend. Too scary. Yeah, yeah I, I loved dude, it when geez, I was a kid. Don't do that. Yeah, Dark Crystal. I can't show them the Dark Crystal. 
You That's definitely terrifying. can't show them Secret of Nim. Traumatized. I love. I loved the Secret of Nim. Sure. Still do. Upsetting. Very upsetting. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. Watch that movie and read Start this with comment. like Fern Gully, bro. Don't fucking go with Secret of Nim. I don't know. I'm not in for Fern. I didn't watch Fern Gully. Come Why on, don't we man. move on talk about Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths, number three from DC Comics, written by Joshua Williamson, art by Daniel Samperi. This is the first issue that's been released since they revealed the full title of this book. It's not just Dark Crisis. It is a official sequel to Crisis on Infinite Earths, which, uh, to be honest, knowing that kind of recontextualizes what they're doing, I was initially weirdly annoyed about it because I was like, yeah, they're all sequels to Crisis on Infinite Earths. You don't need to tell me that. But it's pretty clear what they're doing here in terms of not just bringing Pariah back as the villain, but also having this team of villains uh, led by Deathstroke that is bringing about a crisis on Infinite Earths, but very specifically on on Earth Zero here, our main Earth. Um, And I feel like we are on the cusp of finally getting to it in this issue, which yeah. I appreciate it. Well, and here's my take uh, based on what we saw here. Good. When you well, start talking, I'm just going to make loud noises in the background here. So, it won't Oh, be yeah. I definitely I had that <laughs> plane fly over. Focus. Let me I had that plane fly over when you were talking. Yeah. Wow. I feel like a little spicy, Pete, um, <laughs> for this Tuesday. I mean, whenever we're recording this. <laughs> <laughs> Keep uh, up the artifice. <laughs> the uh what I was saying was that um it feels like the Justice League's death hangs over this whole show. Uh, this whole not our show, but the show of the DC universe. <laughs> and um I feel like what we get here tipped uh, when we have um Hal Jordan going into this uh the je- sector John Stewart. We're going to get worlds centered around each of the Justice League members, and it's going to be about sort of rescuing them and bringing them back from their whatever worlds they're on. And that's the sort of crisis they have to deal with is pulling these heroes back so they can save the day because things aren't going well for them outside of that. That was my takeaway and sort of prediction on it. And I agree with you. Like, it feels like we're just about to flip into the main action, but not quite yet. Uh, I think this is uh, a fun, exciting book. I'm impressed with the kind of classic DC art that we're getting here. I think it's uh, the story's moving forward enough here where I feel like it's really building towards uh, uh, something that feels cool. It doesn't, you know, like I was like, yeah, yeah, let's kill off all the Green Lanterns. I think this is a good idea. Um, but I'm excited to read more. I'm really getting into it as it, uh, the issues are kind of mounting up here. So I'm getting more and more into what's happening here. The counterpoints of the the brightness of the Justice Society uh, full page reveal and the final page uh, with who's, what is revealed there I thought was really cool. One last thing that I'll say about this that I was really struck by this issue in particular, and I think this is a impossible thing to do in the modern age of comics, but... As you listeners may have noticed, and I, I think Justin and Pete, you've certainly noticed, we've talked about a couple of DC comic books here, right? Um, Indeed. Over the course that were released this week. Um, literally none of them, except for weirdly Flashpoint Beyond, have touched on Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths in any way. Reading this issue, I was like, ah, this would be so much more impactful 
if it was a line-wide event. Like, and, I, and again, I don't think that po- this sort of thing is probably possible to do in modern comic book publishing, but if they really took all of DC Comics and they're like, this is the thing we're focusing on. Everybody is scared of Deathstroke and his team of villains coming for us. Everybody is mourning the Justice League. Everybody is reacting to this versus these different spin-off miniseries that you don't have to read to enjoy the main event, which... Again, I understand as part of modern publishing and probably makes more business sense. It that sort of thing made it feel bigger and made it feel more impactful, and I miss that. Is I guess what I'm getting at. I agree because I agree with you on both sides. Like it's not something people will do anymore because it's this too disruptive. When it used to be about the disruption, and now they're like, oh wait, we can just do more and not disrupt anything and still sell sort of sell all these extra books so i don't think we'll ever go back to that but i agree with you it feels a little bit less important when it's in the midst of a million other side things happening yep next up that texas blood number 16 from image comics written by chris condon art by jacob phillips in this issue they're continuing to deal with the serial killer in town i know we say this pretty much every issue but i love how this title is developing Ah, and diving into the characters there's a great arc i'm having a blast reading this what about you guys Agree completely. One of my favorite books on the stands anytime it comes out. Beautiful art, great character studies, so tense and scary. Like just another great arc that is uh, still carrying the thread from the earlier arcs, but also in a feels like in a completely different genre. Yeah, it's hard to keep reviewing this because it's like the same every time. It's okay. Really okay. impressive. In a good way. There is a badass grandma in here, though, Pete. Yeah, yeah, no, but I'm just saying that like it continues to she's just be really good and unbelievable character development and the slow kind of reveal of little important pieces of information that are going to come together later and blow all of our minds. Oh, you but, mean yeah. all storytelling? <laughs> all talking. stories? No, not all. Not all stories do what this does. Um, uh, just real quick, I love that we're like. A pee. There's a grandma on this issue. You're gonna <laughs> like it. Uh, yeah, it's just it. This continues to be a solid book that uh, it has really great art and unbelievable storytelling. Another issue, another grandma. Let's talk about Poison Ivy number three from DC Comics, written by uh, G. Willow yeah. Wilson, art by Marcio Takara. In this issue, Poison Ivy is continuing her tour across America in order to destroy all life on Earth, but she takes a little side trip to help an old lady with her garden. God, this book is so good. The art is stunning. The writing is great. I love that they're going on an issue-by-issue basis. I love this. Agree. I think this is another great DC book that feels so different from anything that's come before. Really enjoying. Yeah, I'm really enjoying this arc. The 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 Ivy design here that we're doing this kind of uh, her own deal, and it's very interesting. And it's what's great about it is you don't know how it's going to unfold. Like. Is she going to go through with this evil master plan? Is it too late? Can she pull the plug? Like, it's very interesting the way they're setting this up, each issue, building the tension, revealing more about the character. It's very, very impressive. And the art is bananas good. Just in terms of the stakes, and then we can move on to something else. It feels like a black label book without being a black label book, where it feels like... yes. 
maybe she could pull this off. Maybe she does actually yeah. kill anybody. I, I honestly, everybody, I, I just honestly don't know. And that's a great place for the book to be living. Yep. Speaking of big stakes, let's talk about the final issue of The Scumbag. The Scumbag number 14 from Image Comics, written by Rick Remender, art by Roland Boshi. In this issue, our scumbag is dealing with the end of the world, thanks to two fashions, we get a mission statement here from Rick Remender about the state of the world, and then a big twist at the end here, which we should have seen coming, and it's classic Rick Remender. Should've. I want to put this a spoiler warning about. on this, because I do think we need to talk about the end here, but what did you guys think about this issue, and what did you think about the book as a whole? I mean, I thought this issue was great. This felt like what Rick Remender was building toward, like he wanted to say this. It's a, this is like a full on monologue about our society right now, which is so cool to hear. Like it's something we don't see. It's like, doesn't pull any punches. And then we get to this end. So the main character scumbag gets to tell everyone who's about to just murder two sides about to murder each other. Like, Hey, you're both wrong. Why don't we just all get along? And it works. The world becomes a better place. And it's all this random dude who did that and made that happen. And then we cut to the, this is the spoilery part. We cut to the scumbag dying on the street from an overdose. And all the characters are just the, the first responders trying to help him. Um, and he's dying. He dies right there on the ground, having never, I presumably never gotten any. Yeah, it's just. All. Yeah, the kind of big reveal was this scumbag OD'd on the street, but he had this Well, and kind it's of cutting back to vision. the first issue when he shot yeah, himself yeah. on the street there, and then he has yeah. this Wizard of Oz moment where he's like, and you were there, yeah. and you were there, and he yeah. sees everybody. Uh, Pete, you seem kind of bummed about this last issue. Am I reading you wrong? Well, no, here's the thing. Like, I, it's hard because, like, the Max, the animated series, kind of did a similar thing where the reveal oh. undercut the adventure that we went on with this character. You know what I mean? Like, here we had a scumbag who kind of evolved a little bit, got uh, better as a human being, and it didn't really happen. You know what I mean? So that part, those kinds of endings always get me a little bit that are like, oh, it was all in the character's head and blah, blah, blah. So like that hurts a little bit, but the monologue and everything we went through was, was great. And it was super creative. And, uh, you know, remember has this way of writing that is really impressive. Like I, you know, for a while it's like, when is this character going to get better? When is this character coming kind of like, uh, I'll wait for the giant plane. Thanks for not hitting mute to ruin what I'm talking about. Um, I think it's one of those things where, like, I want the journey to be real. I want this character to get better. So the fact that it wasn't was it kind of undercuts it a little bit, which always hurts at the end. But I, I can't be mad at the journey. I think Remender is an amazing writer and the, the art's been great. And it's been it's been a hell of a ride. So it's hard to get mad at the end there. Oh, I'm sorry. You're done talking. Okay, there we go. Oh, Pete, maybe that plane was your version of the sort of the OD at the end of the issue. Oh, uh, I thought it was your Oscar music playing to get me off stage. <laughs> uh, nope, that's not how it works. I mean, I think the uh, there's a famous uh, there's a I think it's an O. Henry story, the occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge um, that I watched as a short film when I was in like 
elementary school or high school, same thing. Like someone's being hung and they fall and escape and run and get away. And it cuts to the last moment and they actually never did. And they die there. But so it, it is that sort of rug pull that you're talking about that it leaves, leaves you with sort of a affecting but dark taste in your mouth. But let me throw this out there, a positive spin on it uh, for the remender heads. What if the idea here is like even the lowest person, someone who was a true scumbag, has the capacity for this level of change to see a society and be like, we can all be better. And this person who was, you know, shit himself and then OD'd on the street. And even he is like, we need to make this world better. So that's the person that we can, if he can do it, we can all aspire for the same thing. I like that. Yeah, but that's the thing. He didn't do it. You know what I mean? He he dreamt it. Yeah, he dreamt it. It happened in his head. So if it can happen in his he has a capacity. It can happen in his head. It can happen to anyone's head. Yeah. No, Pete, you disagree? No, I, I hear what you're saying. I think it's a it's a it's a valid point and it's an inspiring thought. And I hope you know if any scumbag can make the world better, then maybe one of our you know pieces of shit asses should get off our our butts and do something to try to make the world better. But yeah, I, I, I do. It well, is. Pete, it, we are recording several podcasts a week, so I think we're doing our part. We're doing the part. Oh, we're doing yeah, the yeah. Hey, this is, yeah. I, I feel like we need to do more, but okay. Well, no, right. I don't think uh, more. Okay. How do about more one podcasts? more, one more <laughs> comic book title? We could review that. Let's talk about Batman 126 from DC comics written by Chips Darsky, art by Jorge Menez and Bellin Ortega. My bad. I didn't include Batman 125, which was the kickoff of this team in the previous stack. But we are catching up with the second issue of this team because of the big new team on Batman. Here, Batman is fighting against a robot called Failsafe that he may have set up himself with a wild twist at the end of this issue. I am loving this run. This is so good. I know we give big ups to Chip Zdarsky all the time, but I think he's killing it on Batman as well, which I'm very happy to see. Agreed. The way this issue scoops up all the Bat family and gives us like a little taste of how what Chip thinks about all of them was great. And the reveal at the end of the f- first story, I was like, whew, that's a big old the elephant in the room. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was reading this being like, oh, man, Justin's going to love this. Uh, we're really inside Batman's head in this issue. Uh, yeah, I, I'm. I'm worried about where things are going. Um, but I'm enjoying the ride. Uh, I, I don't want it to be just this thing that Batman like made a fail safe. And now the fail safe is coming to kill Batman because he's not good enough or whatever. Uh, I don't alert, want that. I think that's exactly what I don't want. Yeah, that I think that's what's happening. I don't that's want literally because I think the take is Batman mate had fail safes for every other hero in the DC universe famously um, yeah. and was a big problem. Yeah, of course, he would have Doom. one for himself. Yeah. yeah. So this is this is that, I think. But the art is so good in this issue. Yeah. Would and you I, say it's bananas good? And I'll also I don't mention, use that language. I love the Catwoman backup as well. She's dealing with the heirs yes. of Penguin. We're getting new yes. Penguin twins here. Very cool. And I'd love to see how these weave together. Great book. If you like supporting this podcast and all the podcasts, we do patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast on YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about comic books, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the comic book shop. 
Sorry, that was Taylor Swift's jet just landing. I gotta jump on and get oh, out of here huh? later. Alright, wrap. Yeah, have fun going shopping. Credit card bill. 